and yet at the same time I think it would be good, and one of the reasons why I'm, I'm mentioning this is because I'm asking some of you who can sing to step up and uh, give the worship team a try. And uh, I know Jim and Bob Owens are going to be kind of uh, organizing uh, from here the worship team along with the sisters and different people that are part of it. I know um, they have some experience, but, but I know I didn't know how to sing at all. I didn't take any music classes. And then one day I sang in my quiet time most of the times. And one day someone said, hey, you can sing. You should lead worship. And I led worship for almost, you know five years in a region before and got pretty good at it. And so I just want to encourage you. Um, this is how you know you can sing. If you sing in the shower, you like to sing. If you, um, if you can sing along with some of the beats, it actually sound good. And if you've heard someone else say, hey, you got a good voice. That's how you can also know if you can sing. Now, do you know what you're doing up there? No. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you need some training? Yes. But um, I, I do think we, we do all need to step up. It's a great honor and privilege to learn worship. Uh, I believe me learning how to sing in my quiet times has helped my soul. Um, and it's helped me save my soul sometimes. There are some things you can't just pray through. And there's some things you just can't read in the Bible. There's parts of your heart that only worship can touch. And so I want to encourage you, um, if, it, if, if God puts it on your heart, uh, please speak to Jim or Bob. And, uh, you know, we do need help. Uh, I might be singing a song or two, maybe. Although Jim's like, stay out of it. Um, and I'm like, come on. Don't take it from me. But uh, he wants me to focus on preaching the word, which I appreciate. And being a father of three. And, yeah. Let us proclaim the mystery of faith. No, um... Anyways, um, now we're getting silly. Okay, um, but uh, if you please, next rotation's coming up, but we always need people. And if you're like, I don't know if I can sing, don't worry. Just come. We'll, 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 we'll talk to you individually, and, and maybe we'll say, hey, go back and work on this. Or maybe we'll say, I believe every brother can sing bass. Just want to keep it real. Every brother can just go. You just do this, brothers. Uh, like that. Just kind of get low, put your neck down, and you can sing bass. Jim's very insulted because he sings bass, but, um, but tenor, tenor is a little harder. Soprano, you're just going with the song leader, essentially. And alto, yeah, good luck with that. That's hard. That straight up is hard. Okay. This is my limited knowledge of music. But, you know, I pulled it off for five years, and people still ask me to leave worship when I go away. So just know, you too can be a song leader uh, if you have a heart for it. Amen? Um, well, let's start. We're going we're gonna to continue in the book of Romans. We've been going through 11 chapters, guys. Give it up. You guys have gone through 11 chapters in the book of Romans. And uh, that is, uh, what a big book it is. What an amazing book it is. And we're actually going to have a time, this is actually Charlie's suggestion, we're going to have a time when we're going to have sort of a, a worship uh, service where we're going to just devote what you've learned from the book of Romans. And we're going to have people come up and share just, uh, you know, for two minutes what they learned from the book of Romans. So I'd like you to start preparing now your little sermonette. 
and, and just get ready because I think it's going to be a powerful time. It's going to be led by Bob Owens. He's going to go through the whole book and kind of do a little bit of a, a preview or review of that. And then uh, we're going to have the sermon be given by you guys. Amen? So uh, maybe you're like, oh, I'm just jumping into Romans 10. It's okay. If you have something you'd like to share, um, we'll have a time to do that. Amen? So we don't just want to hear Romans and just say, you know, great job, Glenn. We want to retain it. Amen? And do what it says. Amen? So um, last week... We, we went through Romans 10, and I tried to do Romans 10 and 11, and that was very ambitious. Um, shame on me for trying to do two deep chapters in the Bible that quickly. But let's go to Romans 11. We'll jump right in. And so you know where we are in the book, uh, you know, in the previous episode. No, um, you know, basically what was going, what's been going on essentially is that... Paul's gone through the first part speaking about how much we need Jesus. Amen. From Romans 1 through 3, he's talking about how much we need Jesus, how we all are sinners. Amen. And fall short of the glory of God, both Jew and Gentile. And then in 4 through, um, you know, essentially 8, he's speaking about uh, the gospel message and the amazing blessings we have in Christ through faith in Jesus Christ. Justification. Right? Through faith in Jesus. And how that makes us more than conquerors. And how that makes us adopted children. Amen? To God. And how that makes us people who who will never be separated from the love of Christ, guys. We got to get fired up about that. That that in whom God will give us all things, the Bible says. If If he gave up his one and only son, of course, he will give you all things. When we pray in the back of our mind, church, we need to remember... That God gave his one and only son for us. And that should make us bold in our prayers. That should make us realize, wow, this God really loves me. And I can ask for anything in his name. And, uh, and then uh, Paul changes gears from 9 through 11 and addresses one of the most, I think, difficult things that was going on back then in the first century. Why? are the Jews who are the chosen people rejecting Jesus, the Messiah, and why are more Gentiles accepting Jesus, the Messiah? If God has said you're the chosen people, why are not most of the chosen people coming to Christ? What a question that is. And Paul takes three chapters in the book of Romans to address that. And essentially in Romans 9, like we talked about, Paul expresses his anguish, and the spiritual condition of the Jews and how he could wish he was cut off from Christ only that his, his people could be saved. Just imagine being Paul, the persecutor of Christians, the one who killed Christians, who himself now is an apostle. What would that feel like? And then the people that he grew up maybe going to, to uh, school with and learning the Holy Bible from, essentially, they reject. You know, I always wonder what was going, went on with Gamaliel. You ever wonder what happened with him? Gamaliel was the one who trained Paul, right? And he was the one in Acts who said, you know, maybe these people are from God. If they're from God, you cannot stop them, right? And, and Gamaliel prophesied, essentially, that the Christian faith couldn't be stopped. 
But he was the one that kept the apostles alive in some ways from, from dying. They listened to Gamaliel and let them go and they flogged them. Oh, that was kind of a tough thing. And they went away rejoicing, right, that they had been counted worthy. But imagine being Paul and going back to Gamaliel and saying, I was blinded by the light. I saw the resurrected Jesus Christ from Nazareth. Gamaliel, these are the holy scriptures that speak about and prophesy and testify to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, coming. Do you want to be part of the way? And Gamaliel, in his wisdom, says, no. In his wisdom, says no. What that would feel like for Paul. I'm sure he deeply respected and loved Gamaliel. And for him, who is, who was the peaceful man, who was probably the most respected of the Jews, one of the greatest teachers of the Jewish faith, who knew the Bible perhaps greater than Paul did, rejecting the Messiah. What that would feel like. You know, you ever talk to a good friend of yours and try to share your faith with them? And, and they're like... You ever just share with someone who's, so, who's a noble person? Who you feel like, man, this person will be amazing as a Christian. You ever talk to someone who you feel like, you know what? They are good people. They are a, a great, outstanding person. And, and they surely will come to Christ. Because I, they were the ones who shared their faith with me. And you come back and share about your newfound faith. And they say, no, no, I'm all set. And how that feels, that's painful, isn't it? And then the question is, why does someone more righteous than me, more righteous is relative, of course, say no, while me, a sinful man who literally was partying the night before I came to my first church service, how did I come to Christ? You know, these are questions that only God can answer, amen? Amen. But Romans 10 addresses this. Romans 10 addresses it. And last week we talked about the diagnosis and the cure. Essentially why people say no to Christ. And what can cure them. Amen? So why do people say no to Christ? We talked about the reason both Jew and Gentile people say no to Christ. is because they think they're good enough on their own. You know when people say, you ever hear someone say, I'm all set. That's like the New England way to say no, right? I'm all set. I did that communion thing. That first communion thing, I did, the, I did that. Or I, I grew up in a, in a Bible school. Or I grew up in a, you know, a, a, a Catholic school. Yeah, so what? I grew up in a school too. How does that make you all set? It doesn't make you all set. But people think they all... I heard all that already. And usually they hear it in a boring kind of made you have to listen to it way and no one's ears are open when that happens amen go to school go to learn that bible no one wants to do that right but when you actually have the openness of heart that's when you believe amen but what's the diagnosis for everyone's lostness people think they can get to heaven on their own good deeds that's the bottom line that's my conviction church whether you're jew or gentile people that don't reject Christ it's not just oh I don't I want to give up a sin or this they think they're okay without Christ without making him Lord and that's a very dangerous thing to feel what makes people feel like they can walk away from Christ 
because they think they're okay without him. What makes them think they can walk away from the body of Christ is because they think they're all set. So a righteousness that's found on their own, as the Bible says in Romans 10, it, 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 it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And so what's the cure? You know, what, is it, what does a doctor need to do? You know, I know we got some dental students in the house, right? What, are, what, are, what do we do? You know, we have some, some people who are, who are in the, the medical profession. There has to be a diagnosis, usually, and then, and then some sort of treatment, right? And so what's the diagnosis? Well, the diagnosis for lostness is people trying to establish their own righteousness. What's the cure? Receiving mercy. Receiving mercy. You know, receiving mercy is the only thing that separates us from the lost people of this world. It's not that I go to church. It's not that I know the Bible pretty good. I've read it through a couple times. The only difference is because I've received mercy and others haven't. That's convicting, isn't it? That even today, when you woke up in the morning and you did this with your eyes... I put eye drops in now because all the allergies hit me. The only difference is that I've received mercy. That's the only reason I can stand on Judgment Day is because of mercy. Amen. So we're going to go through Romans 11 and we're going to talk about the cure. And God has a plan. And that's so encouraging, right? God has a great plan to win everyone he can. He is scheming for your grandma. He is scheming. For your best friend. He is scheming for your neighbor. Even when you think there's no hope, God was scheming for Saul to become a disciple. You got to think about if Saul became a disciple, who can't become a disciple? If, if, if God helped, you know, Matthew the tax collector, the greedy tax collector become a disciple, how not someone else? Oh, they're too wrapped up in their business. Well, not, it's, nothing's too difficult for God. Amen. If Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, right, in the book of Daniel, he made a bad decision, right? Maybe it was a good decision because it humbled him out. He said, look at what I have built. And then all of a sudden he got humbled and turned into like a beast of the field and was eating grass. That's pretty humbling, amen? God will do that to people. He'll do go any lengths he can to win us. And he knows our hearts. And so he's the best at wooing us, amen? And he's wooed us, and he's wooed, wooed billions of people throughout history, amen? And so God's got a plan, even when we don't know how it's gonna happen. And we're gonna look at a little bit of his plan right now. And we're actually gonna read through the book of, 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 uh, of Romans chapter 11, the whole chapter, and then we'll talk about it, amen? So let's go through it in verse one. I asked then, did God reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed down the knee to Baal. So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. That's a loaded statement right there. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. 
What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain? The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to, uh, to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgressions means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I am talking to the Gentiles. And as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow rouse my people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the pass of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, then you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not consider yourselves to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say, then branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they are broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. That's a good scripture right there, right? Just maybe recite that one every day. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. Mm, that's a beautiful passage, right? Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. And if you do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut off of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to the uh, nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their olive tree? It's like horticultural stuff going on right now. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as the election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts in his call are irrevocable. That's another passage you should remember. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so too have now become disobedient order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience 
so that he may have mercy on them all. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Wow. And I'm done. No. Um, wow. You know, the Bible is straight up powerful. We just were taken to another place as we're reading the Bible. And he explained something. And I know this is deep stuff. And I know that, you know, I love Psalm 23 as well. The Lord is my shepherd. And I love, you know, uh, the scripture that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But church, we got to get deeper, don't we? And sometimes we got to dig a little deeper if we're going to get deeper in our hearts. And this Romans 11, I have to say, when I would read Romans, I would quickly go through this chapter. Because I would say, I don't know what this person's talking about. So I'm going to get to Romans 12. And Romans 12 is a lot easier. Therefore, can, you know, put yourself as a living sacrifice. Your body is deep as well. But, but I think even especially as an evangelist, this encourages me deeply. And I believe all of us are evangelists. Amen? All of us are, are meant to have people on our heart. What is an evangelist? It means gospel. That's what the name means. It means gospelizer. It means someone who speaks the gospel. And so all of us, amen, church, are gospelizers. All of us are speaking to people who are in desperate need of mercy. And, and it can get discouraging sometimes. Can I get an amen? amen? When people reject. You know, I have to say I've been rejected more than Christ has been accepted. More people have rejected me when I've shared my faith then accepted. And if you've done this for any amount of period of time, you will expect that from now on. But there are many that do accept. And this is what I figured out. The more people I ask, the more people accept. The more people I open my mouth to, the more people come. I know it's a real simple math problem, but it really makes sense. And I expect many times people to reject, but I know that's not the end of the story for them, amen? That, that really the trumpet hasn't blown yet for them. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to speak here. He's trying to say the, the sadness of the Jews rejecting Christ was very challenging. Amen? Very challenging to Paul. And I have to say, it's very challenging today for me. You know, when I share my faith and someone says, I'm all said I'm Jewish. It's a very difficult thing to jump into. What am I going to say after that? Because what I want to say is, turn your Bibles to Romans 11, and let's read this together. And, and, and at the same time, most of the people that I meet, especially in New England that are Jewish, don't know the Old Testament. They're culturally Jewish. And so that's also frustrating, because they don't know their Bibles, like I even do. And I'm a dirty old Gentile. And so I remember talking to my accountant teacher. He was a great accountant teacher. First, because he gave me an A. <laughs> Second, because he was this Jewish guy from New York. And he was great. And he was like, Glenn, you're really, you're really committed to your faith, aren't you? And I was like, 
hey, show me a scripture. And we were at lunch together. You know, he just came over and he's a very friendly guy. So me, being the gospelizer that I am, I was like, I want you to tell me what the Bible says here. Can you, sh- can you share what this passage even means? He's like, I'm not a Bible scholar. In fact, I don't even know the Bible. But yeah, sure. So I, I opened to Isaiah, right? Isaiah 53. And I read the chapter to him. And I say, who is that talking about? And this was like the coolest science experiment ever. Because this guy hadn't read the Bible. This is the first time he looked at it. And I do this with John 3, 5 all the time. When I get with people, I want to study them. I want to know people. Because I believe Jesus knew people. And, and, and I do experiments on people all the time without them knowing it. <laughs> because I want to know people. I want to know the human heart because if I know the human heart, I can save more people. And so I said, let me do this. Let me ch- check this out. I said, who is the passage talking about? Like the Ethiopian eunuch is perfect. I was like, this is the Ethiopian eunuch. We're on a chariot ride reading the same passage as the Ethiopian eunuch was. Right? He was led to the slaughter. Right? Sheep before us here is silent. Right? So he did not experience. Right? And, and, and I shared the I said, who's the passage talking about? He looked at me and he said, Jesus. I said, how do you know that? Well, because it says he was, he was, sounds like Jesus Christ to me. Then I looked at Isaiah 7, 14 with him that said the, the virgin will be a child. Well, wasn't Mary a virgin? I was like, yes. Then I went to Isaiah 9 that says he, a wonderful counsel, mighty God. He's like, wait a second. So Jesus is God? I'm like, we're getting somewhere now. And so we're, I'm going through this with my accountant teacher, right? As he's eating a taco, right? And, and we're going through this together. And he's like, why don't you show all the Jewish people this passage? And they'll all become converted. I was like, that's a great idea. Why don't we start with you? He's like, oh, no, no, no. My mother will kill me if I turn Christian. And that was the end of that. I was like, man, come on. I thought we were going to have a chariot ride. I thought you could be like the Ethiopian eunuch. And, and there's water. Let's go to the swimming pool and baptize you. But that's a sad reality, isn't it? That so many, and there are many Jews that do know the Bible, amen? But, there's a, there's a, but in some ways, that might be a good thing. <laughs> Knowing the Bible isn't always a blessing. You go, what are you talking about? Some people think they know too much of the Bible that they can't be taught. You know what I'm saying? And that was the problem with the Jews. They knew the Bible more than me. Don't come to me, Gentile, and share about the Old Testament. I gave you that Old Testament. My father Abraham gave you that. A lot of pride, guys. A lot of pride in being religious. And so what is Paul really trying to address? He's saying, number one, everywhere you go, there's always a remnant. Remember that, church. Anywhere you go, there's always a remnant. You know, every people, every person. I love this little boy here, right? He says a lot right there. He says more than my sermon says right now. Life is short. Death is sure. Sin the cause. Christ the cure. Pretty awesome. Imagine just going around with that sign. It helps to be a cute kid, too. Because no one yells at you. You know, if I hold that sign, they go, hey, why don't you put that sign down? You can't say that to a little kid. So it's pretty wise right there. Shrewd as snakes. Okay, so, but everywhere you go, 
Whether you go to Portland, whether you go to Afghanistan, whether you go to China, whether you go to the land down under, I don't care if you go to Antarctica, I think there's a population of 3,000 on that continent. You know, wherever you go, there is a remnant, amen? People who desire Christ and don't even know it. Amen? And so people go, well, you know, maybe every place is open. What does Jesus say? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That's why we're praying at 9.38 a.m., 9.38 p.m., Every day I got an alarm that goes off according to Matthew 9.38 and I don't pray for the harvest. I pray for the harvest workers. And I just want to share something really cool. Praying this and I've started to get so many phone calls from people saying, I'm moving to Maine. Can I be trained in the ministry? Every single day someone's saying something to me. And it's an answer to prayer. God's saying, hey, I told you to pray for the harvest workers. So I want to encourage you, if you can set an alarm, please do that. 9.38, 9.38 p.m. It gets a little crazy. Sometimes I feel like my prayers are super duper lame. Because I'll be in the middle of like the checkout aisle. You know what I mean? And that thing will go off. And I'll be like, Lord, pray for the harvest workers. And the (laughs) person's looking at me like, what are you doing? You know? And and then I, you know, I tell them, I'm praying for the harvest workers. What's the harvest workers? Are you a farmer? No. Well, you know, we're going, you know, and I just tell them, you know. And, but, but I do. I pray at 938, you know, and, and it's a little thing that I do that encourages me. And I believe God's going to fill this auditorium up so much that it's going to be very uncomfortable to come to church in this room by the end of this year, church. I believe that. I believe you're going to be like, oh, I want to come to church, but it's so hot and, and just stuffy until they get a new building. It's going to be, ah, some guy was all over me. He was like really close, like being in a bus, you know? <laughs> Promise you we'll move, right? We'll move soon. But I want it to be a little uncomfortable. I want you to go, where? I don't have a seat at church. I've been going to this church for nine years, man. Where's my seat? I'll give you mine. All right. But there's a remnant. And what, did, uh, uh, what was Elijah told? He was told there were 7,000 people, amen, that were in Israel. That's pretty encouraging. How many people are in Portland, Maine? Wow, that would be encouraging to think about, right? I'm just going to pray, God, tell me a number. That's kind of crazy to ask, God. God can speak through the Holy Spirit. Tell me a number. How many are remnant in greater Portland area? How many are remnant in Maine? What if he gave me a number? Well, God doesn't speak to you. Does he? You know, maybe he will. Maybe he won't because he'll mess me up. You know, what would he say? Would he say 10,000? Would he say 25,000? What would he say? Would he say 50,000? That's convicting, huh? To think about. How does God see? Do I pass them by? It's hard to think about, right? Now, Portland is the most post-Christian city in America. Give it up for Portland! We're number one! We're number one! Oh, no. Is that good? Is that bad? What is that? Is that bad? Yeah, I think that's bad. Post-Christian means that there are 57% of the people that are opposed to Christianity 
that live in this area. Come on. See, I knew we were going to be number one in something. We're really good with restaurants and being post-Christian. It's awesome. We are cranking, okay? Now, here's the good news. Not a lot of people come to church here. Not a lot of people know about Jesus. You're not going to meet a lot of religious people here who's like, I've been going to church all my life. That's great. Because that's much like the Gentiles, right? First century was a very post, you know, it, it, it was opposed to Christianity, was it? Not. It was not post-Christian because it was just pre-Christian, essentially. But it was very much opposed to you know, Christianity. So much so people were getting killed for it. And if the, our brothers and sisters in the first century did that, how much more, amen, can we do in this city, amen? We can do much in this city. But we got to pray for the harvest workers. All we need to do is give them a message about Christ. You know, it's funny, uh, Derek and Nikki are not here today, but they've been studying the Bible for about two, two months now. Um, they, I should have told them they could bring their puppy. They just got a puppy. They're like, I don't think we can leave them alone. But last time we got a puppy, we brought them to church. I should have told them that, right? But they've been studying the Bible. We met them, and they both said, I don't know anything about the Bible. I've been to church like for three years, and I've never opened the Bible to someone. And I was like, wow. Okay. She's like, I don't even know if I believe it. Nikki said that. I don't even know if I believe it. I said, why don't we just read one chapter a day together and we'll text each other what we learned out of that chapter. So John 1, we, we, we text each other, right? Me and Derek and Danielle and Nikki. We've been doing that. We went through the whole book of John. We got with them. They're like, we want to be baptized. I was like, well, we just had one study. Yeah, but I read through the book of John and, and it's obvious according to John 3, 5, you need to be baptized. And I was like, yeah, water and spirit, huh? Yeah. And he's the only way, the truth of life. So I need to do that through him, right? I can't see the Father without Jesus. And I was like, yeah. And, and Thomas, he, he didn't believe, but Jesus appeared to him. And if Thomas became a disciple, then, then yeah, obviously. And I'm like, yeah. So what am I here to do? I accomplished more from texting him once a day. I spent five minutes, I read one chapter, and I texted him. And then he spent five minutes and texted me. He grew more, he grew literally his faith 500% in one, in a couple weeks, 21 days. Crazy, right? The message of Christ is powerful. You know, you have someone in Portland, give them that challenge. Hey, what if we read one chapter a day and we text each other? And if the end of that, you don't want to come to church, then I'll leave you alone. You get them a Bible and see what happens. Maybe that's the way we share our faith here in Portland. We don't count on, hey, we got a great band, although we have a great worship team. Or, hey, we, we have a great facility. Or our kids' class is really great. And we have fog machines and we have lights. And we do all these cool things, you know. We drop Easter eggs from, from the sky, you know, and all these cool things. No, what if we just gave them the message of Christ? What if you challenge someone just to read one chapter a day with you? And in three weeks, tell me what you think about it. I'm telling you what, if someone devoted themselves to that, they would believe. Many of them would believe. I want to encourage us, maybe that's something we do with a friend of ours, amen? You know, if they did that, if, the, if, if, if you know, thinking about just our, 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 our New York accountant, who was my teacher, 
I asked him to read the Bible with me. And he said no. But if he would have said yes, I believe he would have gotten the courage to become a Christian against his mother's wishes. And I believe maybe his mother would have become a Christian too. And so it's so important that we, this is right before Romans 11. He says, the message of Christ saves, amen, gives, gives people faith, amen. So this was the second point because the first point was diagnosing the, the problem. What's the difference between us and everyone else? And this is kind of tough because I have changed my life a lot, but not enough to be saved. I could be so awesome. Like, I could be the most pious Christian ever and still need Jesus. And so trying to earn it never works, right? Trying to earn it never works. I want to tell you a story about Napoleon. A lot of people know Napoleon. He said a couple things. He said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, this other guy, and I have founded empires. But on which, but what did we read the rest of the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Napoleon, that little dude, he had some wisdom. And this is a cool story about him, okay? A mother once approached Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied, the young man had committed a certain offense twice and justice demanded death. But I don't ask for justice, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. But your son does not deserve mercy, Napoleon replied. Sir, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well then, the emperor said, I will have mercy. And he spared the woman's son. That's awesome. You know, that, who's, the, who's the mother in this, in this story of our lives? Jesus. Jesus pleads for us every single day, church. I'm not asking for justice. Because justice already has been paid on the cross. I'm asking for mercy. I'm asking for mercy. Mercy is not mercy if it's deserved. You got to chew on that, church. You got to remember that. That none of us deserve to be here. None of us deserve to be here. You know? And like Napoleon, God is much more merciful than Napoleon. But he's also much more just. I remember someone saying a great message. It was called, God is not fair. Very, everyone was like, what? What's going to be preached here? And I was a young Christian. I was like, is he going to get real or something? He's going to share about his pains and stuff? And he went on and talked about how God is not fair because he had to send his one and only son to us. And that's not fair. You know, thinking about that, the last passage that I want to share is, is near and dear to my heart because it's the first passage in the salvation study that we do, right? And it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possessions, that they may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have 
receive mercy. At one point, church, we had not received mercy. That's what separates us from the light and the darkness. Mercy. One word. Starts with an M. Mercy. How do we receive this mercy? Well, the Bible says you receive it through faith, repentance, and baptism. That's how you receive it. You receive it through those things. And once you come out of that water, you become a person that has received mercy. Amen? Do you remember that day when you were baptized? Remember the day when you made Jesus Lord of your life and you received that mercy? And remember what what Paul says here. He says, his gifts and his call are irrevocable. And so you have that mercy. As long as you hold on to Christ, this passage also really doesn't support once saved, always saved. Amen? It talks about being cut off from the branches, right? That can happen. All we need to do is plead for mercy every day. Plead for mercy. And not that we're praying for mercy, but in our lives, are so they're, they're humble enough where we know we're people that need mercy. Amen? You know, even now, sometimes we still try to earn our salvation, right? You know, I was talking to someone the other day, and they said, I don't think I'm worthy enough to be baptized. And I said, you're right. No one is. No one's worthy to be baptized. And it helped him. He was like, huh. I said, you'll never be worthy. You'll never feel worthy of being an adopted son or daughter. And so stop trying to be worthy. Just receive the mercy of God. And when you receive that mercy of God, I don't know about you, but I feel so excited about serving God. Right? You know, if you're not fired about serving God, it's because you're not in touch with the mercy God's given you. And that's so important to feel. And he says in verse 32, for God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Everyone needs mercy. Amen? You know that song, everybody needs compassion. You know, that song. It's, it's a great song. You know, everyone needs compassion. Everyone needs mercy. You know, never forget that. That, that, that the people that look good and look great, look like they got everything, they still need mercy. Amen? And what God is trying to say to us is someday the full number of Israelites will come into the faith. And I just want to confess, I don't know what that means. But I want to be alive when it happens. You know, I don't know what that means. You know, there's people that are called Jews for Jesus, right? And they go around and they specifically speak to that population. And it's awesome. And many people have come to Christ. Who knows what God's going to do in the end? But he has a plan for every person that needs mercy. I want to just camp out in verse 33 and 36 to end. I'll just read it again. In light of, of his plan of salvation. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God? That God should repay them. For, for, for him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You know, this is a doxology. 
And I believe it's a beautiful doxology about God's heart. You know what happens to Paul? He's, he's writing all this, right? And, and, and essentially what happens, he just bursts into praise. Because he realizes, even though he's in anguish in Romans 9, that God has a plan for every single person to make it. He has a scheme. And every person can make it. And I believe people get 10 and 15 chances to be saved in this lifetime. You ever meet someone who said, yeah, then someone else reached out to me. And then and another person from the same group reached out to me. And then I saw someone two years later and they reached out to me. I've met someone who's been met by six different disciples. And that's the one they remembered. There was a brother who, his name's Howard Kellogg. He was at a, a Wendy's. And, and somebody came up to him and invited him, him and his dad to church. He, he was very young at the time. And his dad came to church, got baptized, and then later on he did too. And to this day, he doesn't know who this person is. And he's been in Philadelphia before in the like, big church service. He's done communion for him. And he said, if you're out there, Please come see me. I want to meet you. I want to thank you. Where are you? And they've searched for this person. I said, Howard, do you ever think it was an angel? You ever think it was somebody who just was from another church? He's like, I don't know, but I want to find out someday. Maybe someday in heaven. God has ways to reach us. Amen. You know, I want to encourage you to keep your faith for your family for your friends. And I want you to read Romans 11 when you're having a hard time with your faith. Because God explains his plan. That God helps people to get humbled enough to come to Christ. You know, it's interesting. Jordan's story blew me away. Because it's right in line with this sermon. He said, I did this in my workplace. And that's one of the reasons why I came to Christ. God allows us to make mistakes so that we would be given mercy. Isn't it a beautiful thing? And God, yet God is so gentle with us that even though we make mistakes, he's still kind to us. Amen? And so God knows exactly how to reach our hearts. Let's not ever lose faith in God's plan for all humanity, both Jew and Gentile. Amen.